Hello and welcome to Built on Air, a podcast and video series about all things Airtable. I'm your host, Zoe Vanderplue, and I'd like to thank our sponsor, OpenSide. Visit OpenSide.com for products and services that will take your Airtable to the next level. Use promo code BUILTONAIR, one word, all caps, for a one-time $20 credit off of any purchase. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Alex Bass from Buffalo, New York. Alex is founder and owner of Cyberbytes and host of Analysis Paralysis, a podcast focused on business process design. In this episode of Built on Air and on his own podcast as well, Alex discusses what it's like to be a business owner in this rapidly evolving, semi-enigmatic niche of workflow design. Alex has pivoted a lot throughout his journey in the tech world, and he does a great job of explaining his steps and thought process along the way. Alex's company, Cyberbytes, specializes in working with Copper CRM for G Suite. They often augment Copper's functionality by building automations and integrating other software, which is where Airtable comes in. Alex describes how he often uses Airtable as a staging area to store and manipulate raw data as it flows from one app to the next. In his screen share demo, we take a look at a simplified example of an Airtable base he created for a client, which seamlessly cleans and formats responses from a website contact form before pushing them into Copper. Check out builtonair.com to sign up for our mailing list where you can get weekly updates on new Built on Air episodes and other fun Airtable things. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for uh, talking with me today on Built on Air. Welcome to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I, I've been speaking to Dan quite a while about Airtable, so I'm super excited to actually jump in and actually talk to other people that love Airtable as well. So I heard some of the podcast episodes that you've been on. And very clearly, you know everything Airtable, so I'm stoked to kind of talk through everything. Yeah, it's good to nerd out on something nerd-worthy like yeah. Airtable is. <laughs> um, so, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You have your own podcast, which Dan has actually been on before, talking about Airtable. Um, so just tell us a little bit about um, the podcast and you know any, any other cool tidbits you want to let us know. Yeah. So um, I started a business about nine and a half years ago. And at that time, we were just doing web development and online marketing. And I did that for about four years, making about $5,000 a year, kind of struggling and realizing that it's a difficult thing to start a business and actually find customers that will buy from you. So Mm -hmm. I was exclusively working in that small business space. Small businesses typically give you the ability to maybe try something and they'll pay you something. It's not great. So I was doing that for web websites and I kind of became an artisan in the space and I fell in love with it. So I wanted to go and build 20, 30, $40,000 websites for small businesses who did not need 20, $30, $40,000 websites. They need like right. a space thing up just to work and get some leads in there. So I had one good customer who was actually my stepdad's business. And I realized that I just could not scale this web development thing. So I started pivoting the business over to IT. And that's where I got really comfortable and familiar with the second wave of IT, which is a managed service provider, which is all about recurring revenue, which mm-hmm. is at the core now, something that I'm super happy that I learned and went to that pivot. So it's more about you charge the customer upfront for the month to proactively manage all of their computers, whereas traditional IT is more so you are charging them hourly when something breaks, you go in there and you fix it. Um, so that's where I really forced this idea of recurring revenue into my mind. And I was in this space for a couple of years, met a lot of great people, but realized that IT is a rough 
business to be in because people get stressed out. Their server goes down, things stop working. They call you up, they yell at you and it's, right. it's stressful, right? right? So it's always like, well, what do we pay you for? If exactly. This broken, you know? Um, and, 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 and it's the reverse. So it's the reverse of that too. When things are working, they say, what are we paying you for? Right. And it's like, well, you're paying me so that things are working. So it's, it's a lose-lose. Yeah, you can't win either way yes. because people only remember what you, who you are and what you're doing when something goes wrong. Exactly. So that was a business that I, I'm like, I need to get out of. I made okay money from it. Like the company was kind of growing. We grew to like $30,000, $40,000 in revenue that year as, as we transitioned more into that space. But the beautiful thing about getting in the IT space, I started seeing inside of small businesses and realizing how outdated their processes were. Mm-hmm. And that's where this kind of final pivot that I moved into, it was like, okay, great. Well, now I understand that you're not uh, you know, building a structure infrastructure whatsoever for your business, what are tools that we can actually leverage to do that? So that's where I kind of dove into the area of understanding CRM. So at a core, having a customer relationship management that will track all of your customers, potential leads, and kind of work through in a structured way. So the sales process. And from there, I was like, okay, so we implement this in, but what's the next step? So a client of mine, he was spending two, three, four hours uh, per proposal when he was writing out proposals. I was like, there's got to be software out there to help because I don't think it makes sense to use Microsoft Word, build a proposal, export a PDF, right? So that's where I really kind of got into the space of just researching software and seeing what it can solve these these problems that these various customers had because these were problems that would save them time and actually be a, a way to really show value. And that was the thing that I hated from the IT space. I couldn't show value so I was like, I need to find something where I can actually feel good about what I'm doing and right. have that value exchange, right? So that was the final pivot. And that's also where I kind of found, found Airtable. Um, the more businesses that I worked with, the more we implemented various pieces of software, the more these, these problems came up that had very, very custom difficult solutions. And that's where it was like, hey, Airtable, uh, I heard that name a lot. I dove into it. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of like Google Sheets, but a, a little bit different. And then I realized that it's like, it's more database kind of driven and being a web developer in the past, I understand the benefit of having a more structured database versus something like Sheets where one column, you can have random information, another column, you can have totally separate information. And then the rows, then nothing's really connected. You can make them connected, but they don't have to be. And then that was something that I'm like, wow, this is powerful. It's a very user-friendly uh, database. Mm-hmm. So I started trying to figure out a use case for it and... The biggest use case that we were able to find was, so you put a CRM in place, you put some other software into place, but the software doesn't always connect together very well. Even if there's a nice API and things like that exist, they're still you know, pushing data maybe from a website form. And then how do you convert that data to then go into your CRM and the structure that it needs to be? There right. needs to be some type of intermediary thing and Airtable ended up being that thing. So uh, I fell in love with it very quickly and that's kind of the background of everything. And then I decided to make a podcast around all things efficiency, automation, specifically more of the CRM front, because I partnered up very closely with Copper CRM. Mm-hmm. So uh, I talk about all things software and, and you know, anything integration, automation, and CRM. So. Yeah, I think this sort of idea of, you know, custom workflow design and, and systems building is something that I mean, certainly it was happening for years, right? Like when, you know, kind of anyone who's ever had a business has to develop some kind of system. But I think just really recently in the past five or 10 years is when it's really become sort of uh, something that's much more accessible 
right? And, and it allows you to kind of be more creative, re, you know, instead of you having to be like, okay, well, you know, we have a uh, sales force and this is the holy Mecca, you know, and this is the only thing that we have. It, it allows someone like you who seems to have a really great sort of intuition for how things should flow and piece together, just choose the right, you know, tools for, for that particular situation. Um, and, and so uh, you mentioned, right, that sort of the, the basis for most of your, uh, you know, clients is copper. Um, and that's a Gmail-based CRM, right? It integrates right into your inbox. Yeah. Um, so, so how do you go about kind of choosing the right uh, apps to, to supplement copper in that client's tech stack based on whatever they tell you they need? Yeah, so I think some of it comes down to initially talking about figuring out what they're currently using. Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely scenarios where we'll talk through and yeah, maybe they're not using reply.io, which we're super comfortable with and said they're using Persist IQ or they're using some other type of solution. We don't necessarily want to go in there and say like, okay, we need to replace this with this and this with this and this with this. Uh, at the end of the day, most things will be okay as long as they have an API and they can integrate. But there's very specific areas of it's just where they're trying to do something very specific or they want something very specific in their sales process. So say, for example, they have a sales process where meeting scheduled, a proposal sent, follow up, and they want at the follow-up stage to send automated drip campaign emails going out. Well, so long as the tool that they have currently using has the ability for us to do it to the extent that they want it. So sometimes they want very custom things like when the customer replies, we want it to move them out of that follow-up stage into a negotiation or, or an engagement stage because we don't want to keep sending automated emails when someone's clearly engaged with us. That's just mm -hmm. kind of bad business practice. It feels kind of impersonal. So the question comes down to, well, you know, does this tool that you're using have the ability to trigger when they reply to take them out of that? So I think the more we dive down and figure out their, their needs, their frustrations, the thing that they really see is big picture, this will give us value. We just kind of dive in and see, well, does the software that you have currently allow us to do that? And if not, do we need to change the software itself? Or do we need to maybe implement something like Airtable as an intermediary that can do some of the heavy lifting to make it work? Um, we very specifically have chosen to only work with co uh, companies that are using Copper and G Suite. So back when I was doing IT, I saw so many companies using Microsoft Exchange, Office 365, G Suite. It was such a mixture. And it was this very weird thing where IT people are so behind Microsoft, like they love everything Microsoft and because they yeah. own that space, right? It's like yeah. everything. And I just felt like it was so limiting, like they weren't embracing APIs and all this functionality and things that Google was doing. So I was like, I'm going to make the decision as a company and say, we're only working with companies that are using or looking to switch to Copper and G Suite. And it's been cool because I've been able to learn how to say no to people because we're just simply not the right fit. And then the companies that we say yes to, I feel very good about. We know everything about Copper, we know everything about G Suite, and I know if it's the right tool for the job. So it's it's one of those weird areas where, like, yes, yeah, sometimes you have people that are using Salesforce. And I'm like, we can help you. A CRM is a CRM is a CRM. But sometimes it's just about really focusing down into that niche and partnering up with that company um, and, and really becoming an expert in a very specific piece of software. So For sure, especially because I think that gives you sort of this... Uh, you know, basis to build off of. Whereas sometimes it, it is really hard, I think, to sell clients on new apps that they're not familiar with or that they haven't already vetted for themselves. Um, also, because you realize like, 
uh, you're like, well, hey, here's this app that can do X, Y, Z. And they're like, oh, well, what about ABC? I didn't yeah. mention that stuff, but I want that too. And then you're yeah. like, oh, um, back to the drawing board. Like, never mind my previous suggestion. But with something sort of anchoring it like that, you can really get, you know, instead of just being sort of a, a jack of all trades, you're, you know, specializing in this one thing that you can yeah. move for. I mean, it's all about expectations at the end of the day. And if they're using something like Hopper, they already have a general expectation of the software. And that's where we can actually make the software do more than they're used to. Whereas when you're switching software, those expectations are kind of in the air and they think it does certain things that it probably doesn't. And then that's where things get messy. There have been right. times where I've, I've implemented three, four, five different pieces of software all at once for a company. And I learned that is something you do not do. Um, there's a massive cost of, of changing and people hate change. So that's, it just kind of blew up in my face. And ever since that happened about four years ago, I've learned like at most you put two pieces of software. Sometimes you could put three in if one's kind of in the background. So sometimes like Airtable is in the background for us and our customer doesn't even need to see it. So right. that's not such a big deal because we're using it to leverage it in a certain way, but you don't want to be changing a lot of software out or the project's just going to fail because people, you know, it's tough to train on new software, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think it's um, also, like you said, everyone hates change and it's like, okay, well, hey, in our old process, this software did this. Why can't the new software do this? And, and it's also because you're not just, people don't just have to learn a new software. Sometimes you're changing, you know, their actual workflow, right? To make it more efficient. So, so it's like, how do you describe to someone, especially someone who, who may have a harder time grasping change? Um, well, this new software can't do that anymore. And also we're not going to do that at all anymore. So, you know, it can be really, you're right. It's like, you don't want to alienate your customer too much. Um, so yeah, I think it's just sort of this idea of, you know, kind of having this central theme and then you're like, you know what, I know a lot of other apps, I'll build it, you know, I'll build things up from there. When did you start the podcast and like, what, was there a specific inspiration to start that or had you been like ruminating it on, on it for a while? Yeah. So when I was kind of going through the business journey, uh, just pivoting a lot, I was really interested in BlackBerry, believe it or not, about four or five years ago. Um, and we decided to actually have, I had a buddy of mine, two buddies of mine actually, and we did a BlackBerry podcast. And we did that for two and a half years. It was a weekly podcast. And I, I made sure I hit every single week. But the thing, the nice thing about it was there was always new news on a weekly basis. So something mm -hmm. like to talk about. And we did it live. And we kind of grew to this point where we had like 40 or 50 active listeners as we're like live streaming it. And then we get like a thousand or 2000 downloads per episode. And we actually kind of grew this nice little community and Patreon and people were donating and things like that. The issue with it, though, is it got got to a point where BlackBerry was going through some hard times. I just wasn't passionate about BlackBerry anymore. Like I kind of fell out of love with them. Right. And then I'm like, it's really tough to do a podcast when you don't love the subject that you're talking about. Yeah. So I stopped that for about a year. And I and just one day, I just looked back on the log of the you know 160 episodes that we recorded. And I'm like, I'm so proud that we did this. And I'm so upset that like I don't want another year to go by and not have more like something there that I could point to that like I've been working toward. Right. So I was like, I need to start something. And I'm definitely someone that that gets paralyzed by analysis. 
So mm-hmm. there's oftentimes I'd be talking to people and be like, I don't know if I should use this software, or this software, and kind of dig through all these different things. I was talking to one of my podcast friends and I had mentioned, uh, I was like, my middle name is, you know, paralysis by analysis. And uh, she's like, that's a great podcast name. And I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I should do that, actually. So I kind of dove into it. Um, the main goal, I think, in a certain way of starting it was I wanted some type of platform to, I learned in business, everything's about relationship, being able to meet people. And having a podcast is a great way to kind of connect with people, exactly like what we're doing right now. And then it's also this cool tool where like my goal very early on in the podcast was like, I want to grow to a place where I feel confident going to the CEO of Copper, who's one of our major partners and say, hey, will you join me on a podcast? Because I want to get to know him. I want to have like an introduction. I know you film a podcast with someone and there's definitely a level of, uh, I guess, relationship that builds over just sending an email exchange. Right. My goal is all about just helping build the partnerships that I have, help build relationships with people. And I actually, at my one year mark is when I recorded the episode with John Lee, the CEO of of Copper, and it was just awesome. And I just felt like, yeah, so like I hit the thing that I was trying to do. And now it's just like a cool little platform outlet that I have. um, And it's definitely a little bit of a hobby of mine as well. So I'm not, I'm not driven if like, will business come from this or anything like that? I think it's just a nice medium for me to even like do a speaking engagement. I could record it and have an outlet to push it out. So now I get like more out of speaking and things like that. So, yeah. And I I think it's, it's also, you know, with relationship building, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, flattery still does get you pretty far, but, but saying, Hey, I really like what you do. Um, you know, you're worth, I hope like I'm worth an hour of your time. Just like, I really think you're worth my time to talk is sort of like a really kind of nice, sincere way of doing that while also creating something that's, you know, valuable for other people. Um, And, and also like, I totally do understand where you're like, I, um, you know, I'm paralyzed by choice. Like, I, I don't know. There's all of these apps like, and you know, you're being looked at by the client as an expert and you're like, well, really? I mean, like there's no like, one solution. Um, and, and so, you know, just to spend, and also I I bet, you know, thinking sort of where your thought process was and how much you kind of understood and even how good you've gotten about making decisions has improved so much, like over the course of the year that you've done the podcast. Right. And now you kind of, you have like, uh, you know, like a really nice catalog, like you said, with the BlackBerry thing, you're like, look at like all of these things that I've considered and you know, I've spent time on and other people can enjoy them too. That's really cool. Yeah. No, it, it's funny. Like this being a space to be an expert in is it's so tough because like we mentioned, there's so much software yeah. and software, like at, in order for everyone to be competitive, like Airtable needs to be grinding and building new stuff and changing. That's just one piece of software that we use in part of the process. Right. So I think that's another reason why we focus kind of more on a stack. And there's a lot of companies that will just build the the best tool for the job. But the issue is like you fall so far behind on all these different pieces of software. And then even having like one customer come to us where we understand the copper, the air cable, all these different facets, but they're using PayPal instead of QuickBooks Online. It's like, well, we haven't used PayPal's native API yet. And you almost feel like, am I even an expert? Because like, I don't even know PayPal's API. Like, shouldn't I know this by now? And it's just, it messes with you. It's almost- Yeah, it's it's a weird space to be in. No, it really is, and I, and I think it's it's because too, like you don't want to. I, I mean, obviously, clients are hiring you to deal with that stuff, so you don't want to like explain to them. Well, like yeah. actually, I don't really know anything. Yeah, <laughs> because it's not true. You do know things, but it's like there's just so many things out there that like you know, and it's weird when people people are like, "Hey, have you heard of like X Y Z app?" And I'm like googling it right, on the right, side. Yeah. Like, 
you know, um, I'm like, I mean, I'm, there's new apps coming out all the time. It's really hard to like education. I think self-education is a huge part of this, like, and it's like, what do you even call this like weird space? You know, do you have like a great tagline that you use? Like when people are like, Hey, Alex, what do you do? Oh, no, no, no. I, so, um, my girlfriend lives in Canada. So whenever I have to go uh, over the border, there's the border, uh, you know, guard there that like asks me what my, what I do or whatever. I swear every time I change what I say, sometimes I'm a business consultant. Sometimes I'm a CRM and you know, what's CRM? And then you have to, Oh, it's customer relationship management. Like I change it every time that I talk to anyone. So I don't really know. Um, at a certain point, I kind of just have to say, I go into businesses and I analyze their sales process, operations process, and admin processes, and I make them work better together with software. It, it's like this whole like thing because no one understands when you just say, well, a business or a business analyst is something you kind of say, or business process analyst. You're like, well, what does that even mean? So, right. Yeah. And, and it's like also because, you know, uh, when you think of consultant or yeah. business analyst, yeah. like you yeah. think of the... Um, have you seen office space? Like those two guys, Oh, what are they called? Like the gyms or the Toms? Yeah. Oh, you know, like they come in and they sit at the desk and like interview every employee and like make some cuts or something, or, you know, like you wear a suit every day. And, and really it's just like, you know, I'm working out of my like apartment just doing video calls all the time. Like it's just very weird. It's a totally new space. I think, um, and and also I think the consultant term has in some sense like a negative connotation because anyone could call themselves a business consultant. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people as they exit their career, they move into business consulting in some way. And most of that comes from like, well, I have relationships with people and that's where my clients come from. Whereas if if you're younger and you're like, I'm a business consultant, I mean, that's a big part of what we do. That's mm-hmm. what, well, like that's, that if you're in the space, that's something that you do. You talk to a business, you understand what their needs are and you consult with them on different software, different ways to solve their needs. Like you really are just doing general business consulting sometimes. And it feels dirty to say that on a business consultant because it also has a negative connotation to it. And so it's, it's just weird. I don't know. Yeah, right. So every year, right, or every time you go to Canada, that's just your like, look in the mirror moment. Yeah, it it <laughs> like, really is. Yes. What is my job title today? Yes. yes. Uh, I love that. Yes. That's so good. Yeah, I was the other day I was some like, uh, like my internet was messed up and some, you know, like cable guy came to fix it. And he's like, what do you get to do like that? You just hang out at home all day. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm a, you know, systems work, like systems and workflow designer for small businesses. And he's like, oh, you know, you know yeah. it's just like people like, can't relate to, I think they're expecting to hear something like, oh, I'm a web developer. Oh, I know what that is, right. but it's not. And it's like, I'm going to pretend that I know what that is. And, you know, it's it's tough. I think right. eventually it'll be more clear. Um, I the funny thing too is I almost feel like the IT space is diverging into this because a lot of IT in the past was like internal infrastructure, internal software, and yeah, you'd have servers and things like that going. And it was a lot of it was about integration. So this is just that, but like in the cloud. So right. it's almost like I think the next wave of IT, MSP, things like that are going to be more 
managing companies, uh, software as a service, because there's so much of it and there's a lot going on. How do we make sure that we kind of tie it back in and we use less software and we integrate it better together? So right. I almost feel like there's a natural wave of even just the IT space is going this way. Yeah, it's definitely like, it seems like this sort of period of time is something that in five years, it will become a lot more clear. And I think, you know, with Airtable too, I remember when I first discovered it, uh, I was working at like a, you know, nine to five type job. And it was for like a mid-sized, like a small mid-sized company, maybe about 15 people. And, you know, we were like, hey, well, let's try this thing, like this cool app. But that was maybe in 2016 or something. So like, even then Airtable, you know, as, as an example of one of these apps, it was like one of those things where you're like, this is cool, but is it going to be here in a year, you know, or is it going to be yeah. something that just kind of gets gobbled up by like a Microsoft or, you know, Google or some bigger thing and eventually just gets shut down or, um, you know, is it going to kind of stop, stop being updated? Um, and then the exact yeah. opposite happened, you know, they got a ton of funding, they, they blew up, like every, you know, new features are coming out all the time. So it's actually really cool to like, take a gamble, I guess. Yeah, you, you like, picked the right software. Yeah, yeah. 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 And also, so I noticed um, in uh, your kind of Cyberbytes website, when you're talking about some of your case studies, um, you guys have been using Coda for some yeah. stuff, which, which is, I mean, I guess this is a little bit of a tangent. It isn't Airtable related, but Coda, um, it's uh, sort of, I would say Google's response to maybe like notion or something like that like it's a little bit sort of a note-taking space right in a space like a wiki sort of but that's a pretty new app right so yeah did you guys decide to kind of um you know choose that as one of your you know like yeah maybe preferred apps in your your stack so that's one of the weird things because there's so much like overlap among some of these different solutions and Coda has a few different purposes. I think it was started by like an ex-Googler or something. They're not connected to Google, but they use Google as right. the platform, like that's the mm -hmm. core. So you that's can even right. do within Google Drive and you can literally create CodaDoc and it feels like it. So the main thing that it's trying to be is the competitor to Google Docs and Sheets and it's more of like an all-in-one solution for that. Uh, and there's a little bit of overlap of what Airtable can do too, because you can create a table and the table is database kind of structured right. and you can do a lot of referencing of, of tables between other tables and things like that. I found the best use case for it more for kind of client uh, communication and documentation. Mm -hmm. So whenever I start off a new project with a, a client, I will create a shared code doc and you could have little tabs on the left-hand side um, and drop down folders. So versus having like one folder and then a bunch of like Google Docs inside of it that you're going in and jumping between right. stuff. It's more you just create one document, it's shared, you can tag them, you can, you know, build a table of stuff that needs to be done and then reference the, the client and things like that. So I really found this good use case for it specifically in that area of the documentation. And it's yes, in a way it could be comparable to Notion, but I feel like Notion and Slate and some of these other tools are more structured for internal purposes. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a little bit weird almost to actually use it externally, whereas Coda, I almost exclusively use it as an ex, uh, external communication. Right, tool especially since email. all of your clients are on G Suite already. Yes. So yeah, and, and the, I, what, the one thing I do like about Coda as especially like an alternative to Google Docs, right, is that Google Docs, I mean, it's essentially like a word processor. So, you know, I have to spend time like formatting it and making it look nice. Whereas Coda, you know, it's a little bit more like markdown style stripped down, um, which makes it look professional, even if you like don't have to put that much time into like making yeah. it look pretty. 
You um, can't make the you can't make the font comic sand, therefore right, like, yeah. up too bad. That's a I'm okay with giving up that freedom. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um you have um an Airtable example to to show us and walk us through today. Um, but sort of, you know, based on what you've mentioned sort of as using Airtable as this like intermediary black box, I'm really curious to get a little bit more context about like the specific example and, and how it, is this something that you've created for a client? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so essentially what this, the, this context of what had happened here was a client reached out to us and they had a zap um, to not, so Zapier is a tool that exists for you to integrate two different solutions, uh, two different automation solutions, or you can have one, one thing happen in like a CRM and have that trigger a bunch of things to have happen. So they were internally building it out and they had like this 60 step process that went through and it was kind of inefficient. And there were areas at which if two people requested a form uh, on the site, there's a form that you fill out for a quote. And if two people requested at the same time, it would like overlap data, (laughs) like someone's address and someone else's address and like the wrong thing, because some of the ways that things were set up weren't built to be super scalable. Mm -hmm. So they essentially came to us with this problem. They're like, we already have some software in place. We already have a process, pretty refined process. We know what we want to have done. Is there any way that you can kind of refactor it and make it more streamlined and make it so we can actually grow from, say, $2 million a year in revenue to $5 million with a better process? Because currently, we can't do that. So that was kind of the, the issue that had come to us. And upon diving into the processes that were happening, so you'd fill out this form. I think it's something that people experience a lot. You get all this information, typically, like you drop down fields within the form, then you'll just get the drop down field name or whatever. So like, if it says like car model, then maybe it's going to respond and give you, okay, now I have Impreza for Super Impreza. But what do I do with this? If you have a CRM, typically, if you have mirrored data, so you have car mix, car models, you're going to have that as a drop down field. And in a lot of CRMs, you can't just throw Impreza in there and it, it won't just find it. It actually wants the ID, the unique ID that this mm-hmm. CRM identifies as that field. So right. a big issue that they were running into and they're running a bunch of steps to say, okay, we just reser- received this va- or this um, this name. How do we convert it now to the proper value? And they did that like 30 times in the process. And I'm like, I think we could just use Airtable, push all this data into it once, have a bunch of different lookup tables that we're referencing, and that will just give us the ID. So essentially, we just have this data go in, then Airtable is just going to convert all that data, and then we'll just pull the data out, and we can very simply put it into the CRM. So that was like the main core of it, where Airtable is great for that type of thing. And then we, of course, went a little bit deeper, the more that we were working with them and, and understanding, they're like, well, we have territory owners in various different areas. So how about if the zip code is you know, uh, this zip code, how do we make it actually assigned to a specific territory owner and then have all the processes following it be that specific territory owner? So there's a bunch of like difficulties that kind of came up. But at the end of the day, we found Airtable is this nice solution for all of these things. And then actually, there's some pretty cool things that we explored with this specific client. And actually, there are new things that we tried that worked really well. So excited to kind of show it off. Cool. Yeah, I think it's that's like to sum it up. It's like computers are stupid. Yeah, we need to like give it a math, you know, um, which, yeah, I've run into that ID thing before we were like, okay, well, you know, the client says they want to, you know, have this event in February and then February is stored in this app is like three, three, one, seven, nine. Yes. <laughs> okay. Airtable yep. it is. So why don't you, um, go ahead and just take a second get set up, share your screen and, uh, give us a little tour. So everything that's kind of going on here. So just envision a website form that 
would, upon putting information in it, simply put all of the data into here. So you'd start off the, the invoice number, the way that we actually calculated this um, is the unique opportunity ID that was created within the system, so copper. So the process that happened was initially upon the form submission, we would then go to copper and generate an opportunity. And then we would take that unique opportunity ID and then paste it here. So now we have this very cool standardization across all the platforms because the invoice number that they're using internally is now the unique copper opportunity ID. So at any point in time in the future, if we need to do some type of automation, as long as we know the invoice number, we can literally just do an API request to that specific record and, and modify it. So before they were using like number one invoice, two, three, four, and it's just counting up. And it's like, we can actually make it be something that's a, a little bit more structured and, and give more purpose in the future. Right. So post all this information, nothing crazy. There's little areas where we'll take like first name, last name, and then we'll create like a function of the first and last name, um, just so that doesn't need to be kind of broken out a little bit weird. I know sometimes forms will have a first name field, a last name field, and other times we'll have a con conjoined field. Um, this is just a nice way to kind of uh, structure the data in a way that you want them to be structured. So just run through and just puts all the, the basic information. Here's the, the important area though. So like as you add the model, so for example, let's take the car model and say that they added the car model of Impreza like I was giving. Um, what it's actually doing is you can look at the car model up here, which is a very simple list of saying you know, Impreza and that's equal to the copper ID of that. And then this is where it's kind of tied to. So now after all of this information is pushed in, we can actually view the copper ID field. And now all of these fields that had these names are now random values. And then this could very simply just be pushed over to copper directly and everything kind of gets filled in. So we took it a step further too, where they would also sometimes submit uh, photos. They actually had to submit photos of what their house looked like, their garage and things like that. So we created like a photos upload that pulled the specific form submission request. And then we have like a field here, you know, for their house. Obviously that's not someone's house that they're doing work for. Gorgeous. Um, a garage. This is almost like a mock garage. But um, essentially, then we have all of these files within here as well. So there's this very nice way where you can actually be within a form submission. You could jump to the photo upload and see all the photos. And we just want to keep them a little bit separate because this was kind of less important for them to see all the images. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, all this stuff is then being pushed over uh, to Google Drive and stored. So the trigger of creating a new, I guess, like row here. Mm -hmm. would actually trigger the creation of a Google Drive folder for a specific customer, and then it would take all the image attachments and move them there. So really what they're doing is they're just using Google Drive and they're using Copper to do their day-to-day. -day. This is just running in the background to kind of be this intermediary database that stores data that they could jump into and analyze it and take a look at it um, and, and manipulate it. But really, it's just kind of on the background and they shouldn't need to really touch it much. Uh, the territory owner lookup that was kind of fun that we were dealing with is okay, so what happens, we actually did a lookup with an Airtable and you can do it through a range. So we made the minimum range is the postal code here and then maximum is here. So essentially if someone put in the, the you know postal code 521436, then it would grab here. It would say, oh, the territory is Buffalo because it's within this range. It will now make the territory owner as Alex um, and then the all the information kind of going to decide here. So now we have like a unique phone number and all this information tied to the territory territory owner that we then use later uh, for like sending out an email. So after someone does the fills out the form, all the stuff starts triggering and going off, and then at the end they get an email from their territory owner. 
And that's all automated because we could simply say, well, your territory owner is Alex and we'll send an email from their email account now because we know all this information. So um, that's kind of the, the main area. And then here's where you can just kind of keep record of all this information and then what territories they run. So you could just very simply jump through and say, oh no, now he's managing Boston um, and he is going to be managing you know, Buffalo. So you could very easily for the customer, the client, to be able to go in and change what territory owners are managing what territories. And the beautiful thing is that doesn't stop any of the automation. Like it just keeps right. running and working. Um, so that's that's the, the bulk of this specific example. And I think this is a really a good use case for the way that we use Airtable a lot. Um, and that's really using as this intermediary database to take all this structured data and format it in a way that it needs to be. Um, so if one type of data comes in, different type of data comes out. So. Right. And just even in those four tables, you know, it's like, think of the amount of human wasted time that saves, you know, whereas before it's like someone would get the form submission, but then they would have to manually input it into copper and then manually upload, you know, these files. It's like now it just all, you know, happens so easily. Um, and I'm really glad the U.S. Postal Service gives us, um, you know, numerically organized zip codes. Yes. So, so <laughs> some of that was a little bit messy. It's interesting. I think as they scale more, it might not be the perfect solution, but for the most part, it seemed to be fairly decent. Um, yeah, I don't know what we would do otherwise. What they're actually doing was they were using Google Sheets and they had a list of about 7,000 rows and they were just individual zip codes. And then it, to the right, it would say what territory. So it would say like, you know, 50001, 50002. Each one would say Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. And it's like we were thinking through it and having it look up through 7,000 records to try and match it is going to take a while, especially if you're doing that for a bunch of requests all at once, where here's a solution that we're using one row to solve the exact same thing that, you know, thousands of rows were doing beforehand. Really? So, you know, Airtable is very, very, you know, it, it, it made that much more efficient. So they were, it was taking about two minutes or so to run initially, um, each time a new form request came in and we restructured it, we made it run better. And it took about 20 seconds or so after we made all the changes and made Airtable at the core of it. So just, it really made it a lot more efficient. That's awesome. So I, I know we won't, we'll kind of just focus on these, you know, four tables here, but when you were building like, like just like the zip code lookup, was there any like other sort of weird problems that, you know, are brain puzzlers yeah. that uh, you, you know, came up with a, yeah. you know, a maybe like your, your third solution was the best, right? Yeah. So um, this is, I love like, the edge cases come into play. So there, there's the idea, we can solve this problem, I feel good about it, but then there's always those edge cases that throw a wrench into things. So something that kept happening that we had to fix was, what happens if someone uses the full postal code, which actually has that dash? Mm -hmm. So there are two ways they can go about doing it. On the website form, you can either restrict it and saying like, you can't have a special character like dash, but the client not being super technical in the web development aspect, we're like, we need to manage this kind of on our end. Mm -hmm. And so what we had to do was, Upon the information coming in, we also had to run some custom code to just say, ignore everything after a, a dash. Like if a dash exists, erase the dash and everything after it. We only need the first you know, five characters. Um, and then another thing too is what happens if someone submits a postal code that is not within any of the postal code ranges? So A, that would really just mean that they're not, they don't service that area. Um, but what we had it do is we had it create a new row and then we had it at the end of the automation 
it would send like a different type of email, um, but it would create it as like a draft. It wouldn't send it out yet because this would allow the company to handle it how they wanted to handle it. Maybe they wanted to say, I'm sorry, we don't service this area. I could recommend you to this person. Or maybe they'll say, you know, we're actually going to move to that area in a couple of weeks. And so it, it gave the control back to the client. And so it stopped the automation from happening because it's like, well, we don't know what to do with this because this isn't actually within the keys that we have set. So those were two big things that that came into play specifically um, with the, the postal cold kind of lookup area. Yeah. And that is a good point. It's like, you know, uh, there is sort of so much emphasis on, you know, using Zapier to automate everything. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you do want that that human touch or that kind of opportunity for human judgment. Um, so, yeah, that's a really cool way that you kind of just built that in. Yeah. Uh, so- yeah, well, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, to that point, actually, I think it's 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 an interesting thing that I brought up recently. I was getting a lot of uh, like sales requests into my site, and I would always go through and have to create the template and like send out this message to someone. Whether typically they weren't a good fit because they were reaching out and they didn't use copper or some type of thing, and I realized that I just kept typing the same thing up over and over and over and over. And then, great, I created a template for it, but then on mobile, it was still a pain to select the template and dealing with all this stuff. So what I did was I created an automation that just created a draft email. So every single new like sales request that comes in, I already have a pre-built email in draft form that I got to click send to. And this kind of the sad part is it's actually a decline email because more often we're getting stuff that that isn't a good fit um, right. versus that. But it, it's like, you know, hey, typically we work with companies that are doing 1.5 million a year in revenue or more, just kind of set some expectations in that email. And that's one of the things that are super important that it's like, you don't always want to have it. So a form request comes in and you automatically respond to them. Automation is great for that, but it's like someone can tell that the email is not built for them. So I have like this little area that's like add context around what the actual request is about, like replace this with that. And it's very, you know, custom to the actual needs. So you can leverage automation while also making it personal at the same time. But yeah, I really love this kind of just really kind of clever Um, you know, custom lookup table, essentially you built, oh, and this is what I was going to say. The other thing that I love about this is, is that all of the form submissions go in here. So like you said, you can also run analysis easily through Airtable if you want, if it is some kind of thing that's not easy to get through Copper or another app that they're using. Oh, there's, there's additional benefits too. So we're using this similarly for a couple other clients too. One of the forms, it's like a five hour five hour form that needs to be filled out. It's for a company that they do like a startup pitch competition, like Shark Tank, but it's kind of local to the Buffalo area. And they have thousands of, of applicants spending about five hours filling out a form. And we regularly have the data send to Airtable to kind of sit. And something that we notice sometimes APIs go down, right? Like the data is trying to send from Airtable to Copper and, and Copper's uh, API goes down or some type of thing goes down. We now have this intermediary database that we can check against the website form versus Airtable versus Copper. So it's just like one more place to check when when information gets messed up. And it's this beautiful thing that you could run in there and be like, well, why is it different? Why is Copper different from what the website says? And we can actually see Airtable and realize like, oh, this this field was just changed because it keeps the history of each field that's been changed. And that's saved us so many times, uh, you know, being able to have that historical record through Airtable. So I, I honestly recommend having Airtable as this intermediary database, even just for very simple form requests sending from, from sites. Right. Yeah. It's a great kind of staging area. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it's like sort of also showing your kind of like IT background. It's This is like the cloud-based version, right? Of like server redundancy. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. Yep. Cool. I love that. Well, thank you so much for kind of showing us this and walking through it. Um, I feel like managing inquiries from web forms is like one of the like most important parts of some businesses and also like the bane of their existence. Yes, most definitely. It's cool to see this solution. Yeah. And where can people uh, find you if, you know, they want to reach out to you or look at more of your work? Yeah. So you can shoot me an email directly at abast at aparalysis.com um, or I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, all that fun stuff at Alex H. Bass. I just don't use social media too often. The best way to get to me is probably just direct email. Um, you can just search for my company, Cyberbytes Inc. Feel free to shoot a message. I love to talk about this stuff. So feel free to connect in the relationship aspect or if you actually have a business need, um, more than happy to talk to you some things as well. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alex. It was great uh, learning a little bit more about your journey and cyberbytes and analysis paralysis. Um, great podcast name, by the way. I agree with your friend. You guys too. Like it's the perfect fit for, oh, when, when he brought that up to me, I was like, that is the perfect oh, fit. Oh, I know. Isn't that, it's yeah. such a great name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it yeah. really, yeah. There is like a lot in a name. There and, is. Yeah. yeah. Especially for podcasts, I think, because a lot of it's just like, the so-and-so show or something. And I'm like, I don't know what this is about. So I'm going to maybe not listen. Um, it's it's definitely, and it's interesting that I was listening to a podcast episode where they're talking about how it's tough to be found. The discovery is a big difficulty mm-hmm. that if you can, instead of saying like Johnny Jim's real estate advice, like if you focus like Buffalo real estate, like if you're, it, it, you know, Buffalo real estate podcast. So someone can actually search for that. The downside is now it's too focused. Um, right. So it's, it's that beautiful balance between the two. Um, but it's, yeah, it's tough to find content. In, right. In but especially now it's like, there are, what there's some, what is the crazy stat on podcasts? There's like millions of them, right. Or something crazy like that. And then, but it is, you know, now there's so much content out there that you really can get super specific yeah. and still reach, you know, a community that's really interested in what Almost you do. Definitely. Um, you know, an air table, right. I, you, I kind of thought of it when I started as like a very sort of niche thing, but especially after doing this podcast, um, and just realizing how many people just use it for everything and like how it, it has this weird, like uh, people just are really attracted to it in this weird way. And I always thought I was like, Oh, you know, like I like apps, I'm kind of nerdy. Um, but it actually, there is something definitely about it. That's like a legitimate pull. Um, so yeah, just connecting with like really niche communities is like a really you know yeah. cool thing that is just starting to be possible now. Again, like we were talking about kind of in the space. So I, I would implore anyone listening who currently uses Excel or Google Sheets. There's some people that are insane at it, right? They're very, very good with it. Uh, but go check out Airtable and actually play around with it. I know it's going to be a little bit different and weird at first, but the things that you can do are you're really building a web app even though mm-hmm. like just, just from having your knowledge of, of Google Sheets and everything. So it's so powerful. It really is. Yeah. Well, and um, we'll link in your show notes to analysis paralysis. So everyone can um, check out your discussions and investigations, um, semi-related, I guess, to our world. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. I had a great time and I hope you have Absolutely. a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah, you as well. Thanks so much. I appreciate the invite. So look, definitely we'll keep in touch. For sure.